everybody, this is Nathan here with Jake, and you're about to listen to what we call Sound of Sanity 1.0. Now, Jake, what do we mean when we say Sanity 1.0? Well, Sound of Sanity was a show we'd been wanting to do for a really long time, and we'd never really seen our way clear to getting it off the ground. Right, so one day we decided the best way to get it off the ground was just to sit down, hit record, three friends talking into microphones. Since that time, the show has changed and grown a whole lot. The modern version of Sound of Sanity really began to develop around episode 34 on Jordan B. Peterson. Yeah, there's some stuff we're really proud of in this early iteration of this show and some stuff we're possibly, probably, maybe not so proud of. But there's some good stuff and we wanted to leave these up. Plus, we thought it'd be fun for people who know the current show to go back and see how far the show's come. Yeah, fun and maybe sometimes a little humbling. No doubt. Anyway, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the current version of the show. That's right. And meanwhile, please enjoy this episode from the archives. You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Welcome to the Sound of Sanity. This is Nathan Alberson, your humble and obedient host, welcoming you to another episode of Sound of Sanity. I'm operating today, folks, at let's say about 80%. 80%, Nathan, right now. Some Benadryl coursing through my veins. Yeah, I was gagging on, uh, what, do they, what do you call that stuff? Uh, post-nasal drip this morning. I was gagging on post-nasal drip. Speaking of post-nasal drip, (laughs) (laughs) our beloved engineer, uh, Benjamin Solzer. How you doing, Ben? Oh, good, Nathan. How are you? He turns the knobs. He turns the dials. Well, I'm operating about 80% this morning or this afternoon. (laughs) You know who else is here, Ben? Uh, I, I, no, actually, I do. Yes, Nathan. A man who, like, his 80% is like (laughs) most people's 100%. Yeah. But he's operating at at 100% today, which (laughs) means like... We Get are out in, of the way. We are in for a treat. I as have, we are each I and every week. have the glow. <laughs> the glow of the master. <laughs> it's Pastor Jacob Menzel, of course. The head honcho, leader of the, the pack, the big cheese, the CEO, the chief executive officer of Warhorn Media, right over there. We're going to find, would you call that a plaid, Ben? Kind of. Yeah, yes. Plaid. G- gingham. Gingham. Is oh, that a gingham? It's it big gingham, though. That's Proper big for gingham. a gingham. Yeah. The squares are like bigger than your thumb. I'd say they're medium size. Is plaid always red and green, then? It's a medium. Ooh. No. So this is a different pattern than plaid. Plaid oh, would be okay. like multi, multi-colored. Yeah. D- okay. There'd be with more lines. intersecting with colors. Lines, intersecting not just lines stripes. Not just okay. I see. How are you doing today, Jake? Operating at a hundred percent. A hundred percent. Oh yeah. Like most people's, one hundred and twenty-five percent. Which right. I say is a number that exists. I don't know. There's no such thing as one hundred percent. Well, or the, wait, you know, that's not what I'm trying to say. When they say there's no such thing as one hundred and ten percent, they've obviously never listened to Sound of Sanity before. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, don't you hate it when cloyingly oppressive people guilt trip you with their evangelical piety and make godliness all about having your daily devotional with coffee and prayer and Bible memory as if the righteousness God requires of us is some super spiritual hoop jumping? Boy, do I ever. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> when people especially cloyingly oppressive ones, guilt trip me with their evangelical piety and make godliness all about 
having my daily devotional with coffee and prayer and Bible memory as if the righteousness God requires of us is some super spiritual hoop jumping, I uh, turn and run the other way. Well, I, I do too, but I, I don't mind when you guys do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently some of our listeners do. <laughs> that's, the, that's the subject of our, uh, what do you call this thing? I said 80%, folks. That's episode. Episode today. Uh, some of our listeners, I think, thought we were being cloyingly oppressive people who were just afraid enough about their evangelical piety and making godliness all about having their daily devotion with coffee and prayer plus Bible memory as if righteousness that God requires is some super spiritual hoop jumping. Huh. That's what they were afraid of, yeah. That's that's what they were afraid of. And we know that they were probably afraid of that because our episode, Gamifying Scripture Memory. Gamifying Scripture Memory. That one. Stayed well below the roof. (laughs) It is our least downloaded episode, maybe of all time. Less than half the downloads that Mary Poppins or Star Wars got. Nobody wanted to hear about gamifying scripture memory. Yeah. (sighs) Well... I probably wouldn't have wanted to hear about gamifying scripture (laughs) memory either. I think I would have probably skipped that episode too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because it is annoying when cloyingly oppressive people guilt trip you with their evangelical piety and make godliness all about having your daily devotional with coffee and prayer plus Bible memory as if the righteousness that God requires of us is some super spiritual hoop jumping. Super annoying. It's really annoying. Especially when all that's done by cloyingly oppressive people. Yeah. When I do it to myself, I know I feel pretty annoyed. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's worse because you are, in fact, cloyingly oppressive. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. COP. There's one that depends on COP. (laughs) A cop. (laughs) Maybe I'm going to rethink that acronym there. <laughs> I almost spit my water all into the microphone. Uh, <laughs> we call them cops from now on. Yeah. Cops are the worst. Ben's a bad cop. Cloyingly <laughs> <laughs> oppressive person. <laughs> Meaning no offense to actual officers of the law. No, 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 no. No offense at all. No. Well, guys... Uh... <laughs> I wouldn't have listened to it either. Neither would a Jake. Ben no would have listened to it because he hates himself. Um, he's one of those spiritual masochists who likes hearing how he's failing all the time. Yeah, yeah it makes him feel better and more spiritual. Mm-hmm. Me and Jake are masochists too, but we are our own sadist. We 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 don't need other people to beat us up. We can. But Ben's like, hey, these people could help me beat me up. I, I could learn how to beat myself up better. Uh, me and Gotta Jake keep is, learning. <laughs> <laughs> so we just wanted to talk through that a little bit. Talk about well what. What we want to do is we want to talk about how do we actually grow in godliness, and is it is it really that I need to uh, have my daily devotional with coffee and prayer and Bible memory as if the righteousness God requires of me is some super spiritual hoop jumping? Or <laughs> is it something else? <laughs> you might have thought it was that. <laughs> well, it's not that. Something else. We're going to talk about it because there has to be a way that we can encourage each other to do things like verses without being cloyingly oppressive people, without being a cop, as Ben uh, is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the word you were looking for was is. 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 I'm down to like 70% now. <laughs> Quickly draining. Guys, I have a fun fact. About you, Ben! All right. A fun fact about you! Good news about Ben. Good news about Ben. He has been working on something uh, that I think will probably obliterate the need for this episode, certainly. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Something that will completely 
change your life, help you reorient your goals. Your Ben's been, uh, you just uh, finished the first draft of your magnum opus, I dare say. <laughs> that's, that's right. Christian your, self-help. Your Christian the new of book. The best. A new book. It's yeah. Yeah, From called, Ben Sulcer. I, the, the Power of Positive Calvinism, Seven Steps to Doing What You Are Already Going to Do Anyway. That's right. That's right. So tell us about this book, The, the Power well, of Positive Calvinism, Seven I mean, Steps to Doing What You Are Already Going to Do well, I mean, yeah, as our listeners know, Calvinism's all about how whatever whatever happens is already going to happen. So what do you why are you stressing out about it, man? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, the first step to to understanding that how to get more Bible study and have more zeal for the lost and have a better prayer life is to realize, I mean, those things are already going to happen or they're not. <laughs> <laughs> So the first step to changing is to realizing that change is impossible. Change is impossible. <laughs> and, and the only All way you to can get, do is accept it. <laughs> the only way to get free of this, you know, vicious, vicious cycle where you try to change and you realize, like, I, I tried, but it didn't matter. Be, uh, is <laughs> is is just to realize, like, to have this this kind of internal breakthrough. Like, I can't actually change anything. And when you realize that, you're set free, and then things actually begin to change. Not because you're trying to change, but because you realize that things can't change when you're trying to change them. So once you stop trying, you're able. <laughs> but then, but then that seems to me that you're actually changing things. I thought. Yeah, yeah, but it's, but it's, it's, but it's not right because see, the change would have <laughs> happened anyway because the change was already set. You that's know. right. But as soon as you start trying again, you screw it all up. So you got to stop that. Anyway, that's so that's that's kind of step one, and uh, we don't really have time to talk about the other six steps on this <laughs> on this podcast. But we, I thought we might do a separate episode. Uh, actually. That'd probably defeat the purpose. Anyway, you know, buy we my will book, do a separate episode, or book, we won't. Who's right? to say? <laughs> well, it's <laughs> it'll not, happen it's if it's not going for to us happen. To say. You guys, we all need to take a deep breath and just realize that episode may never happen. It may, but but either way, you should you should buy my book. Don't think about it. Don't try. Just don't try. Just buy. You know what, Ben? If they're going to buy your book, they'll buy your book. <laughs> Yeah, and that, yeah, there's no need to make a sales pitch, Ben. Right? Yeah, well, <laughs> except for that, Ben was going to make the sales pitch. That's like, right. Ben can't that's help right. whether he's going to make the sales pitch or right, not. Right, right, right. No, I can't. Yeah, I could have tried to get out of it, but you know, <laughs> there's that try again. I don't think there 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 is no try. There is no do. Really, <laughs> it's like the, there's really the, not. the reverse anti Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and I know it can be a little confusing, but if you just if you just think about it, and and if you also try not to think about it, you'll 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 come to understand. There we go. It's seven. Uh, what what, is, what do we call this? The seven steps to doing what you were already going to do anyway. The, Subtitled: the, the Power of Positive the Calvinism. Power of Positive Calvinism. Yeah. So buy Ben's book or don't buy Ben's book. You're gonna do it anyway. So <laughs> why not. am I talking to you? <laughs> Why, why are we even on this show? What's going on? <laughs> Stay tuned for Ben's next book, the. Total depravity workout. <laughs> <laughs> How to harness your your natural selfishness to 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 become a better you. <laughs> the total depravity workout. How to harness your natural selfishness to become <laughs> a better you. All right. Well, that concludes fun fact about Ben, guys. Nobody liked our scripture memory episode. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Well, except for the people that did. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually, uh, we had some nice feedback. Some people tried the Versus app. They liked it, so that was nice. We tried to uh, 
just give people a, a, like a practical godliness tip. I guess they didn't really want to hear it, and that's okay. We wouldn't want to hear it either, but I don't know. How do you call people to personal holiness? How do you call yourself to personal holiness without getting bogged down in cloyingly oppressive guilt trips? The most important thing to do is to to sort of flip the script. Uh, we have this, we've inherited this is really gross. It's this idea that godliness consists in doing my daily devotions with my coffee, with my, you know, get up at the sunrise, with the sunrise, and I pray, and I read my Bible, and I, you know, I go through uh, the motions, and I have a couple of pet sins that I have to work really hard to not fall into today. My standing with God and my godliness all based on those things, and my growth in godliness is all about how spiritual I feel living day to day based on whether or not I had my devotions and whether or not I fell into my pet sins, and that's a really small, truncated view of the holiness God requires of us. And it's not really the primary means by any stretch of how we actually grow. What the Bible actually teaches us about growing in godliness is that we don't start on our own in our closet by reading the Bible every day. We start by becoming a baptized member of a, a local church and giving ourselves, like the Christians in the book of Acts, to the teaching of the apostles, fellowship, the breaking of bread, that's the Lord's table, and the prayers, the corporate prayer life, the corporate life of the people of God. And so God calls us to the church. He calls us to be a part of the body. The body has members. The body has people that are gifted and called and equipped to turn and equip the body for every good work. And we don't get to do that on our own. That's not what we're called to. And we are pretty terrible at doing that on our own. The first real step is not to take on this these like hoops of, you know, the daily stuff that you got to do. It's to go to church, be a part of a good church, be a part of the life of a good church. What, what people need to do is they need to stop over-spiritualizing because the reality is you need pastors and elders, men set apart to open up the scriptures to you. For most of church history, people didn't have Bibles to read. There wasn't mass-produced Bibles, even if they were in their own language. It's just access was limited. And so... God didn't leave his people high and dry. God gave them all the means of grace, the ordinary means of grace. Everything they needed to grow in godliness and to walk in his ways was there. And it was there in the church. And that's where we have to start if we're going to think about growing in godliness. We've got it all upside down where we've prioritized a very specific set of personal disciplines as though that's those are the means by which we grow in godliness. And church is even sort of incidental, but that's not the way God made it to be. Uh, you, you grow more in your knowledge of the word, in your knowledge of yourself from sitting under the preaching of the word every week than you do studying the Bible on your own. Because God has called and set apart men to speak his word to you and apply it to you. And you're not equipped and gifted to see all the ways that it should apply to you or to understand it the way that you ought. And that's not to be sacerdotal about it. We all can come to the word and benefit from it, and we should do that. Sacerdotal? What's, What's that? that? <laughs> that's that's like the priests, the old school Roman Catholic priests who said, you're too stupid to understand the word of God, and so you can't have it. Huh. And so it's priestly. It's I have to be the one always mediating the word of God to you in every circumstance because you're unfit for it. Now, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that we all have access to God, we all have God's spirit, and we can all, by the spirit of God, read and profit from his word. But we were just never meant to do that on our own. What a lot of people think of today in terms of growing strong is sheep wandering off by themselves to because they think they know where green pastures are. This is dumb. We have to recover a view, a doctrine of sanctification that is church-centric and works its way out from there. But not, where do we see that in Scripture, way, Jake? 
Well, we see it in the book of Acts. What, what we see are people being converted, whole households being baptized. People are giving themselves to four things, and it's mentioned a couple places. They're giving themselves to the, the teaching of the apostles, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, the corporate prayers of the people. And so they're coming, they're sitting at the feet of the apostles, fellowshipping with one another and encouraging one another, and they're breaking bread, they're celebrating the Lord's Supper together, praying together, they're worshiping God together, and that's how they grow. And that's how the church explodes, is the church giving itself to each other. And it's not, and they all went home and started having daily devotionals and, you know, disciplining themselves to have warm thoughts about Jesus all day long. So we've taken a lot of these passages of Scripture where we have Jesus talking about, you know, don't pray like the hypocrites on the street corners, but go into your closet. Jesus is saying that in the context of a, of a worshiping people. And so if you have been somewhere where you, you know, uh, godliness is measured by your zealous private devotion to any specific number of things, then you are probably like us and a little burned by that and a little hesitant, uh, a little suspicious of anybody promoting anything. Which is why you might not want to listen to a podcast about a nice little helpful scripture memory. Bible memory is something that I associate with college, with this oppressive, mm-hmm. super spiritual, with its truncated view of holiness and godliness and uh, no vision of what actual real life following and obey, obeying Jesus could look like apart from sharing the four spiritual laws and praying and reading my Bible every day and skipping classes to do ministry or whatever it is that people get yeah. really excited about. Anyhow, if you're like us, you associate all that stuff and you want to stay away from it, it grosses you out, and you're just trying to live a humble, godly life where you're devoted to the church and trying to love your family, not screw things up too bad, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Keyword there being serve your church, be part of the local body, and... Yeah, that's where you start. That's where, if you want to grow in godliness, that's, that's it. That's just where you start. That's where it begins. Oh, no! The devil's advocacy alarm. Uh, I would not have predicted that. Oh, but brother. It was going to happen. <laughs> well, so. if somebody hadn't reinstalled it after Jake knocked it out of the wall a couple episodes ago, then maybe it wouldn't have happened. Well, yeah, I mean, even my reinstalling, it was going to happen because it did happen. Therefore, it was going to happen. <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, you're right. I forgot yeah. my power of positive Calvinism. Yeah, you did. I'll just keep re- repeating the, <laughs> the mantras. Okay. It will get through this. I mean, or we won't. <laughs> I don't well, know. I don't know, you know yet. Either way. Case hurrah, hurrah. Case hurrah, Oh, my only comfort in life and in death. <laughs> It's Casera. 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 Scott Calvin. I was just a little boy. John Calvin said to me. Uh, uh, well, the Devil's Advocacy Alarm, as we know, it's the part of the show where someone has to play the devil and argue for the opposite position. Now, Jake, what have you been arguing here? You've been arguing that godliness begins at the church. Yeah, it's church church uh, I've been I've been advocating a church centric approach to sanctification, Nathan. Jake's been advocating Whoa. a church centric approach <laughs> to za- salvation. Sanctification. Sorry, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I am not Roman Catholic. <laughs> so well, I don't know, man. <laughs> Sounds like you're kind of moving that direction. <laughs> yeah. Ben, let's take him. Let's take him down. Help oh, me. Help sure, me out here. Nathan. Uh, yeah. Jake 
It is appointed a man once to die and then to face the judgment. Pretty sure I'm going to be standing before God alone and he's going to judge me, not with my church. Jake, the Ten Commandments don't say y'all don't commit adultery. They say you shall not. Jake. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Nathan. (laughs) The Beatitudes, my friend. Yes, the Beatitudes. What about them? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Seems like they're calling us to a high level of personal holiness. Yes, Nathan, they are. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like they're telling me I should be poor in spirit and all that kind of stuff. They, in fact, are when they say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jake, what I think you've done. Yes. Jake. Yes, Nathan. You flipped the script. (laughs) Indeed. You have... That was my point. You have... Yeah, I know. You said you even said you flipped the script. I, I know. So, Sorry. I, so. And I'm like, the script is upside down now. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. maybe it's right side up. controlling the conversation, don't you? <laughs> I don't know. You you basically just sound like Pope Jacob the third here. <laughs> the third, yes. <laughs> you're 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 giving people an excuse to neglect personal holiness. Uh, I mean, in the in the Sermon on the Mount, God says Pluck out your right eye if it causes you to sin. Cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. The Bible is full, chock chock full. I mean, I don't have to, I don't think I have to prove this with examples. I think we can all agree the Bible is chock full of calls to personal holiness. I think we can all agree that I will stand before God alone and I will be judged for my life and nobody else's. Yeah. What you're doing is... I get what you're saying, but it's dangerous. You're you're calling people, you're giving people an excuse, basically, to go ahead and commit that sexual sin, to go ahead and not worry about it as long as they're ticking those boxes, as long as they're going to church, as long as they're listening to a sermon. What, what, you're, what you're basically doing is substituting one kind of super spiritualism for another kind of super spiritualism, only now we've got a nice old-fashioned kind of Catholic sort of super spiritualism where I just go to church, I listen to the sermon, I do the Protestant version of, of the Catholic sacraments where you know I tick a couple boxes and I can I can feel good about myself, but you haven't really, you've just moved the ball down the court. You haven't, it's just another sleight of hand. You're not actually, you're not actually solving the problem of legalism. You're just giving me a different legalism. You're not actually solving the problem of pharisaicalism. You're just giving me a different set of rules to follow. Your rules happen to be the rules that, oh, I got to go to church. I got to obey the authority of the church, which is pretty convenient for you as a pastor, actually, because that gives you all the power. <laughs> yes. That's what I want more than anything. Power. power. Unlimited yeah. power. <laughs> Help me out, Ben. That's good for me, too, as just a, a layman, because I can I can just go to church functions and do church stuff, and I look good, and I feel good. I look good and I feel good. And uh, that's kind of what I want. And I don't think so much about the private stuff, the private time stuff. I just I think about, you know, do the people in church see me doing church stuff? Do my pastors see me looking engaged during the sermon? And if they do, then it's pretty good right there. Okay, you can do that if with uh, what I said if you want to, and that would be incredibly perverse of you. But that's not what I'm doing. What I am doing is I am calling us to return to a biblical 
way of approaching godliness and sanctification. What I'm calling us to is a bigger view of sanctification than box ticking. And I'm not saying we should tick the church box and tick the preaching box. I'm not saying that we should tick the, I read my Bible and I feel spiritual today box. I'm saying holiness is big in its full orbed. It's all of life submitted to God. And God has given us means to grow in godliness. And they're not us by ourselves. And it and it's not us going somewhere and ticking boxes. It's us giving ourselves first and foremost to the life of the church that he has called and equipped to... Ephesians says that he set apart pastors, elders, preachers, teachers to equip the body for every good work. You can't be equipped for every good work if you are not a part of the body. First Corinthians talks about how we're all members of the body and we're all connected to the head. Well, guess what? You're not connected to the head if you're not a part of the body. If you don't give yourself first and foremost to the church as the as was modeled for us in the book of Acts, you're not going to grow. And that's not to the neglect of personal disciplines and personal... This is the means of growing. The primary and principal means of growing in personal holiness is not, I go read the Bible and, by myself, somehow get godliness, but I go and I am shepherded and cared for and challenged and rebu- as we do life together, as we fellowship with one another, as we, as I said under the preaching of God's word to me, to my conscience by a pastor and shepherd called and set apart for that work who knows me, that's how I begin to grow. And that's how I begin to learn how to apply the Bible to myself, how to give myself to prayer during the week, how to lead my family. If I'm just on my own, doing my own little thing and my truncated idea with my truncated idea of what godliness is and it's feeling spiritual fuzzies because I read my Bible this morning or feeling terrible because I didn't, then I'm not going to grow. I'm going to spin my wheels. There will be no plucking out of my right eye or uh, cutting off of my right hand. You want to do that? You want to you want to be that committed to godliness and holiness? Do what God says. Give yourself to the life of the church. That's step one. Don't think that you can skip step one and jump to step 12 and somehow circumvent. I mean, God gives us means. God gives us means. I think that's really easy for you to say because I think you live in a community with a good church. True. I myself Mm. do not. My pastor sucks. He doesn't want to apply the scripture to me. He doesn't take much interest. He's, he's not exhorting me to personal godliness. He's, he's a preacher. He's not a pastor, really. And our, our church community doesn't have a lot of times for fellowship. Yeah, great. Wonderful, wonderful vision that you're casting. But grow up. This is America. There's a lot of dead or dying churches out there. I happen to be in a community, Jake, where I, I yeah, I'd love to be grafted into this this life-giving force, but it's just not available to me. I, okay. The fact is I, I have to, you know, I, what I hear on this podcast that I listen to is a thousand times better than what I could get at any church that's in my area. <laughs> that's why you need, a, you need a home church. That's what I hear. That's what I hear you saying. We need, we need home churches, not this institutionalized church stuff. Well, both of you should shut up <laughs> because, okay, I hear what you're saying, but one, if that's actually the case, then move find a good church and a healthy church. There's nothing more important than for you and your family to be involved in a healthy church. If there truly is no healthy church, then move, find one, but take care because it's more likely that you're just not humble enough to submit yourself to preachers and teachers and pastors and elders who care for you in their own imperfect way. And God gives us sinful men and places sinful weak men over us, and he does it to humble us and to discipline us And the fact is, you're still better off giving yourself to that church 
and serving that church as best as you're able in helping that church become more biblical and submitting yourself to the authority of the pastors and elders that God has placed over you than you are off by yourself or even listening to this podcast. We can help here. We can be your friends insofar as listening to us makes us your friends. You can find us on social media. We'll talk to you. You can call me up. We'll talk to you. But don't be proud and make the mistake of thinking that you can do this on your own. You can't. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it. We can't be your virtual pastors here. God's given you people. If it really truly is that bad, you just need to move. You need to go to a place where there is a healthy church. Your job doesn't matter. Your career doesn't matter by comparison. You need to be in a place where you'll where you'll be cared for. So no excuses. No excuses. And no dumb home churches. <laughs> you have authority in a home church. You can have elders in a home church. You have, you know, fifteen, twenty people. That's a good that's a good sized group, right? That's what you got. Sure. My suspicion is that you are a uh, self-appointed, super spiritual, gross person. (laughs) (laughs) And so you should probably just shut up and go away. (laughs) (laughs) Slam! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I confess that I've been feeling pretty cynical about the institutionalized church. But I, I don't think that I'm driven by cynicism. <laughs> I'm not the elder at my home church. I, I submit to authority at my home church. I bet I want, you do. Yeah. I, want, <laughs> uh-huh. I just I try to encourage other Christians. Who That's are one thing. One like thing I've, I was. One thing I've yeah. One thing I've lead. noticed about uh, people that start home churches is that they're really interested in submitting to authority and uh, yeah. having other people speaking. Yeah, they're just yeah. you know it's just too bad that there there's nobody willing to do that. You know, in a way that's right. That's right. They on, they're that's, the only ones that saying. know it's right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> if only everybody was as smart as you, then... Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, people have been kind of trapped by the system over the past centuries, the system of institutionalized church. And now they're learning there's a biblical way to do church. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're just now learning there's a biblical way to yeah. do church. Yeah. That's not the way that church has been done. Right, but see... You, you figured it out. Well, I used the Bible. Yes, you and the Bible by yourself. No, me and my home church. <laughs> we used the Bible Consisting together. Consisting of your wife and your uh, kids and... Uh... A couple teddy bears. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's several other families. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah, of course. We're not, we're not in this by ourselves. We're in this together. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. I like the idea of Ben. <laughs> he's got his wife, his kids, and he's got like his pet rabbit. <laughs> his dog. Yeah, it's, it's my elder, Mr. Buckles, <laughs> the rabbit. <laughs> well, Jake, the kind of language that you're using is like a little scary for me because I was in a church that we were really close-knit and then I discovered that there were kind of like some cultish elements to it like the people were really uh, you know it's so easy to when you have a high view of the church like you're advocating it's so easy for wicked and selfish men who want to get rich or who want to abuse people sexually even 
to use that to shore up their power and to create an inner circle and make people feel special because they're part of the inner circle of the church and all that matters is just submitting your life to the church and that's how that's how cults start and you know so we we gotta have discernment and we gotta have wisdom and we can't just like submit ourselves to like any old you're saying I should just go to the church which I've already said is lame in my commit you know and just give myself to it no discernment no is that what you're saying <laughs> I think what I'm saying is you pro- you should probably just be a Presbyterian <laughs> where there's a plurality of elders and churches are accountable to each other and there's safety in the plurality of elders that are appointed chosen from among congregations by congregations and where churches are accountable to other churches. Something that I like to refer to as biblical ecclesiology, Ben. Kind of like the PCUSA, all those elders accountable to other elders, uh, busy welcoming gay pastors and uh, de- and destroying biblical doctrine in the lives you know of what? everyone who attends You guys are right. There's churches. just no hope. There's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing. There's no, we should just throw in the towel and quit. <laughs> Everything is terrible. My own church is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Buckles is adorable when he wears his little robe and <laughs> his purple sash. <laughs> I'm not saying check out, but I am saying that you can't do things on your own. That's all I'm trying to say. But Jake, uh, okay, so you, in the space of the minutes since you talked, I, I decided, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go to my church. I know it's not perfect. I'm gonna submit myself to it. I'm gonna submit myself to the men there. I feel like I'm violating my conscience. I feel like I'm really violating my conscience because they're not doing everything that I know that a church should. I don't think that the the worship is right. Even their standards of personal holiness, they Even just don't seem to care very much about discipline. Yeah, they, 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 so the kids of the pastor act a certain way, and I just, you know, it bothers me. Like, I, I don't want to be judgmental or whatever, but I find myself being judgmental. I find myself thinking, I see the Bible, I see God's standards of holiness, and my conscience is pricked, not by what I'm doing, but by what these people people around me that I'm supposed to, I guess, according to you, submit myself to are doing. So that's hard. And it's hard to address because I don't know the particulars of your particular, particular, particular. I'm a fake person that's hypothetical. So You are a fake person that's hypothetical. And so that makes it very difficult. (laughs) But to somebody like that, to you, the first thing that I would say is, okay, again, you know, I don't know enough about the circumstances, but it may be that you just need to leave. Um, and go someplace that's good. But I also want to say that our consciences aren't perfect. There are times when our consciences need to be in subjection to one another. And what we can't have is a perfect, pure church and a standard of a perfect, pure church. If we do that, we got a couple of problems. One, it doesn't exist. And two, your standard is wrong because you are not perfect. There has to be room to let love cover a multitude of sins. Let some things go and admit that we live in a fallen world. There is no perfect church, but there is the church. And if you can remember that the Apostle Paul called the church at Corinth a church, despite the fact that there was incest in that church, despite the fact that there was that there were all kinds of problems, divisions, fights about food and blaspheming the Lord's table, all kinds of bad things were happening in that church. And yet it was still the church at Corinth. All the epistles, except for the letter to the church at Philippi, are to churches that are in trouble, that are clearly not perfect and have real problems. Almost everything that the Apostle Paul wrote was churches that have problems, divisions, fights, heresy being taught. 
there is no perfect church, but there are churches that God has called us to be a part of and to serve. So, you know, if your conscience is is bound to, I need to be a part of a perfect church, well, you're wrong. Your conscience is wrong. There's no such thing. If it's going to drive you away from the church to go do something off by yourself, then you're definitely wrong. You're not in agreement with the scriptures. And so your conscience needs to be held captive to the word of God, and it needs to be directed and guided by those who are wiser than you and can help you and help you form and and shape your conscience by, by the word of God. And yeah, it's not always easy to see when you need to take a stand and when you shouldn't. That's part of wisdom and discernment and maturity, but be very careful about just sitting in judgment on everybody. Well, yeah, but part of my problem is that, I mean, since I was a little kid feeling, I remember hearing about Africa, missionaries in Africa, and thinking, yeah, yeah, God wants me to do that. I should go to Africa. I should be there. And I talk about it with my mom and dad, and and I would think... I'm I, and I would just feel like I'm I'm really selfish. Like my whole life is really selfish. I don't want to just open my heart to a life of zealous prayer and evangelism and pursuing the Lord and knowing the Bible. Instead, sometimes it's like I want to get married, and I just think, oh, if only I could just give up this desire, then I would be able to be what God is calling me to be, and I would be able to to live at that higher spiritual level. And and it's really hard. And the church doesn't seem to have a place for guys like me who are struggling with that. They're like, yeah, marriage is normal. Probably You're probably not called to be single. And maybe you should think about that just a little bit. But why don't you come to the church potluck? And, and meanwhile, I'm like, you guys aren't even talking to me about how much time I spend in secret prayer, or not much anyway. You're not talking to me about really, really being zealous in, in my life to just go ahead and go after whatever calling God has on my life. And, and, and where is that? And it's like being in a church just reinforces my mediocrity as a Christian. And it's like, you know, I just feel caught between all this worldly stuff and the spiritual life that I want with God that I've I felt a burden for, for since I was a little kid. So what do I do about that? And it almost sounds like when Jake says be a part of a church, he's calling you towards the worldly stuff. Like just just be a boring church member, yeah. get married, whatever. But Ben, he has a higher calling, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Where did your higher calling come from? Well, I, from God, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah? Anybody else uh, see or confirm that higher calling for you? Anybody? Well, my mom kind of did. <laughs> uh-huh. Your mom did. This uh, desire to get married, tell me a little bit more about that, this worldly desire to be married. Well, I've always felt a desire to get married, but I oh, realized, yeah. like, I think that's because I'm just afraid of going without a wife, and I'm afraid of just having a life that's intimacy with God, deep intimacy with God, and it's not, you know, like Paul says... Lust of the flesh, man. Well, no, not, not, not even that, but like a man who's married is concerned with how to please his wife, not just how to please God. And I know it's a real struggle in my heart. Like, sometimes I would, I'd like to have a wife and like to be able to support her and love her instead of just pleasing God. And <laughs> oh, okay. It's tell like me, tell possible. me, tell me about your sexual purity. It's not that great. <laughs> you don't say. I'm shocked. You you are. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's sarcasm. Okay. <laughs> Listen, it's uh, really common for dumb young men uh, who are trying to be zealous for God to mistake a kind of 
hair on fire, zeal for the Lord as the only alternative to apathy. The reality is your church is right. Nobody seems to have actually called you to ministry. You're excited about serving the Lord. That's good. You probably should just chill out, get married, and live a normal, boring life. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you, there's a problem with dealing with uh, with these hypothetical guys because you just don't really... You do want to take them on a case-by-case basis when you deal with them in real life, and you want to judge where they're at. But I think for every one of these stereotypes or these straw men that we've uh, popped up for you to shoot at, I think we're all, we all have somebody in mind. For well, yeah, no, I know guys. Who's the worst version of that. Yeah, Much it, worse than we're presenting, I yeah. think. And, you know, the number of guys... I know who have thought, you know, oh, I'm called to be like the Apostle Paul and I'm called to singleness and I'm called to this or that or the other thing were guys that they just didn't have any self-control or any ability to live by faith. And so what they wanted was this, they had this idea that the only way that they can be a Christian is if their hair is constantly on fire for Jesus. They're living in this world of extreme self denial, but it's not the self-denial of scriptures. It's the asceticism that Paul warns us against in Colossians 2, and he says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all parishes are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These people are all the same. They want to be cut off from the body. They're puffed up by their visions of themselves and what godliness is. They're actually very sensuous people with sensuous minds, and that's why their their regulations all amount to do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It's why their godliness becomes about, I should never get married. It's because they're sensuous people, and they're always given over to lust. And if they have a girlfriend, or if they had a girlfriend, they'd be sleeping, or were, or are sleeping with her. And it just, you know, it's this like, because I'm given over to my sensuous mind, I have to either be hot or cold, but I can't live by faith. I can't live by faith in a world of food and sex. I have to either fully indulge my every desire or I have to have no desires or deny myself my every desire. That's not the life of faith. That's not the life that God calls us to. And it is, in fact, the kind of person that the Apostle Paul warns us against and warns us not to be. It's interesting because I, you know, I, when that passage came to mind, I forgot the part about that they don't hold fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that's from God. I forgot that whole part. They don't hold fast to Christ, to the head, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together. And they don't hold fast to the head through whom they will be nourished. They don't hold fast to the head. They don't hold fast to the church, they want to be off on their own and just create a bunch of super spiritual rules for themselves. It's exactly what we're what we're trying to talk about. It's exactly what that that guy, you know. And I know them and they're real and they exist and they're guys that, you know, they get married and then they spend their life repenting of being married and having a family. They were called to something higher and better and purer. And what that really means is that they discovered that there was no escape anymore from their sensuous 
minds in asceticism. They had a wife and kids. They had to deal with food and sex in real life. They, there was no off switch anymore, and they can't. They couldn't handle it. They can't handle it. They can't handle living by faith because godliness to them, it's either utter worldliness or complete and total godliness, by which they mean their own personal list of rules of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Marriage draws out the real sin and the real problem, and they, they just can't handle it. The kids draw out that real, the real sin and the real issues, and it puts it right there in front of their face puts their sensuous mind right in front of them. They can't handle it. And they don't want it to be their sensuous mind. They want it to be their wife or their kids that are the problem. They want it to be out there instead of in there. Those That's are the just, kinds of guys that have a midlife, their, their version of a midlife crisis is they abandon their wife and their kids and they go to Africa. That's exactly right. And, and that that's is if, what you they didn't, do. if people listening didn't know that's a cliche, it's a cliche. It is a cliche. The mission field is full of those people. Mm. Absolutely full of those people. We know them by name. Yep. You cannot be that way. You may not be that way. You want to grow in actual godliness. You want to know what it actually means to, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. You want to know what it means to take sin so seriously that you're willing to pluck out your eye or cut off your hand. Hold fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together for, through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Otherwise, you have nothing to do with them. And download verses today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got one more for you. Jake, I grew up in a church that was really insular and kind of inbred and ingrown. Everybody knew everybody and everybody knew everybody's secrets, but we really didn't have any love for the community. Strangers would come to my church. Visitors would come and we'd be unfriendly to them. Mm -hmm. And I just always hated that. And I always thought that we were cold, that we were unfriendly, that we were mean to outsiders. And guess what? There was actually, when I say inbred, it's not an exaggeration. There were there were molestation cases and stuff that came out later because we were just that ingrown. And I really, I want to love the church, but I, I don't want to put myself in that position again. I, I want to be open to, you know, like doing un, non-church things, to having a, a life in my community, to, to being a citizen of my town, to not just making an idol out of the church, which is what I'm afraid you're putting us in danger of. Well... Then don't 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 do that. <laughs> don't make an idol of the church, but do make the church the center of your of your life. There's such a thing as an ingrown church, but that doesn't mean you have to be ingrown. Give yourself to a church that is hospitable, or if you're part of a church that tends to be ingrown, be part of the solution. Be part of the answer. Talk to the p- pastors and elders of your church because I bet they feel it too, and I bet you they don't exactly like it, and they see it as a problem. And maybe you can help. And maybe maybe the way to help is to just be an active member of your community and be a welcoming person when the guest shows up, and uh, take it upon yourself to be that part of the body that is focused on loving those who come inside and loving those in the community. And there are a lot of ways to to deal with that objection, I guess. And again, they're very they're gonna vary by who you are and what your real complaint is and mm-hmm. what your church is really like. I just don't put a lot of stock in a, in the complaints of lots of people about their churches because it's rare that the complainers are the ones who see things clearly. Mm-hmm. Winers wine and workers get to work. And you need to be a humble worker who gets to work loving your church and your community. Yeah, churches have problems. And maybe your church does. Maybe those are problems you can help address, and maybe you need to find a better church. But if your concern is making the church an idol... Don't. Don't. Don't be proud of your church. It's only ever going to be failing in the right direction. Worship God. 
serve Jesus and love your community. Really humbling thing for the or proud or ingrown churches to uh, uh, come back to this thing we call the Great Commission, which is the mission of all churches, and remind ourselves of what your job is. Because guess what? You failing. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the larger point of all me and Ben's objections is that there's always a million reasons not to do what you're supposed to do. And they're all very good. They're all very good. Mm-hmm. Loving people is a risk. Giving yourself to the church is a risk. You should do it. You should take the plunge. Yep. Submitting yourself to other people. Risky. Yeah. Yep. They could turn out to be evil. Suppose they could. (laughs) (laughs) And they might make some mistakes with you. (gasps) Oh, no. If that happens, get out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Church made a mistake. (laughs) Your piano player played the wrong chord. (laughs) Adios. (laughs) Oh, man. There's always a million reasons not to do anything, folks. I think Michael Scott says that in the office, actually. (laughs) It might be where that comes from. But there's always a million reasons not to do anything. But you still got to do things, okay? That's my self-help book. So that brings us back to where we started. There's always a million reasons not to download a great app. That's that right. Your <laughs> or to listen pals... to a great app. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what should they do? They should listen to the app, last week's app, or two a weeks, ago, weeks app, ago. Yeah. yeah, and download the app. If you want a very easy way to uh, be helped in meditating on God's Word day and night. We talk about that. We talk about our problems, our struggles, our objections, our concerns about Scripture memory and this sort of thing on our ep gamifying Scripture memory. Mm -hmm. I talk about how Nathan was like, you should download this app a year ago, and it took me a year to finally come around because... You know, I'm the kind of person that would skip an episode on scripture memory, just like you. Right. <laughs> so go listen to that episode and uh, see if you are not compelled to download verses, because you should be. I think it's, you should. It's really great. I, I've memorized at least the whole, I, I want to say over a chapter, since we last talked. It's only been less than two weeks, I think, since we recorded that episode. So I think when we recorded that episode, well, no. I know. When we recorded that episode, I was using the King James because it was free and I wanted to test it out and see if it worked. And I'd already memorized some 20 verses of scripture in the King James. And just yesterday, I finally bit the bullet and bought the ESV. And uh, while I was at my daughter's soccer practice, watching her and fooling around with verses, I managed to memorize 20 verses of the Bible. So (laughs) pretty cool. That's pretty neat, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's a great little app. My scripture type. <laughs> oh, excuse me there. Sorry, that a cough. That was a weird cough. It almost sounded like you were saying the name of a loser competitor clown fake app. It did almost sound like that, didn't it? But, we uh, didn't even talk about fighter verses, which is another. That's desiring God app. right there. That's right. Versus yeah. app, though. Versus is the way to go. For the well-informed consumer, there's no better scripture memory program on the market than Versus. Available for your iPhone or your Android. I did check. It is available for you Android users as well. I don't know if you've got a, a Pixel or something like that. I don't know. It's super easy. Open it. Create an account either just by linking it to Facebook, which is an easy thing to do. Yep. Or your email address. And the other thing that we didn't say, didn't mention because we hadn't really messed with it, uh, versus is social. And you can yeah. uh, you can create groups that are all memorizing the same thing together. Maybe we'll create a sound of sanity group. Me- all memorize some scripture together as a, as a team. 
Yep. That would be cool. Yep. We would not object. We may well do that. We we will not, unfortunately, be able to create a group to invite all of our Sound of Sanity pals in. in the groups are limited to 10 people a group, which is kind of lame in my opinion. Yeah, that's uh, that's too bad, but... Uh, could be but a, I think uh, we can still share, like, if we create... I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Could be a uh, high-level... Patreon reward and join our <laughs> ten person group. Be one of the seven extra SOS members. All right, not yeah. just gamifying scripture memory, but monetizing scripture That's memory. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Pay us, and we will keep you accountable to your scripture. Oh. Memory. <laughs> oh well, guys, I think it's time for us to play a fun game. Hmm. All our games are so fun. Today's fun game yeah. is. We're going to tell a communal story. This is like the dumbest hippie game, <laughs> <laughs> but it's what I wrote in Crayon on, on my notes here. We're going to tell a communal story. I don't know where it's going to go. We're just going to do it one sentence at a time. We'll see what happens. Once upon a time, there was a man named Benjamin Sulzer. He picked up his shiny white frisbee and headed out into the 19 degree weather of Bloomington, Indiana. Wearing nothing but a pair of shorts and a beanie. <laughs> <laughs> True story, folks. Benjamin, come back and put on your coat, said his mother. (laughs) Mother, said Benjamin, turning in shock. How did you get here? I thought you were in Tahiti. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind that. Just put on your coat and eat some warm camel soup while you're at it. No, mother. I hate you, I hate you, cried Ben and ran into the snow. His little naked feet (laughs) freezing as he did so. (laughs) As he ran, he began to throw up his frisbee at that particular angle where you can catch it yourself to take his mind off the pain of his frozen feet and his broken heart. (laughs) But it being quite cold and being an uncoordinated sort of fellow, he missed and the frisbee hit him square between the eyes. This made him vomit profusely. He thought to himself, hunched over in pain over the snow, it's only what I deserve for talking to my mother that way. Just before he passed out and slumped into the snow, never to wake again. <laughs> the end. Oh, man. No, it can't end there. It can't end there. Painted me into a little bit of a corner here, <laughs> That's Jake. what I was trying to do. <laughs> Some passing vultures came down, circled around. Fresh meat, said the vultures. Suddenly, the body beneath them stirred. Could it be? No, it couldn't, because he went, he passed out, never to wake again. (laughs) Benjamin, my beloved son, you're dead, said his mother. Actually, thought Benjamin, unable to speak. (laughs) I'm I'm just in a permanent coma. I I can understand everything you're saying. Oh, how I wish I could tell you. Oh, but I can't. Just then, the buzzard swooped down, making desperate attempts to <laughs> to feast on Benjamin's flesh. 
while his mother waved her broom <laughs> to fend them off. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm glad we didn't stop at our initial stop. <laughs> we really got somewhere interesting and cathartic. <laughs> wow. All right, guys. Well, that was a beautiful story. Hey, this episode was engineered by Benjamin Solzer, produced by Nathan Alberson, executive produced like all final word products by Jacob Menzel and Nathan Alberson. Until next time, folks, stay sane and download Versus.